you're tuned in to the Neo Academy podcast. My name's Mark, and welcome to another episode of Neo Chats, deep dive conversations into the culture of education. just keep drinking my coffee go for it oh there we go <laughs> <laughs> that was a good good moment to do that okay we are live now excellent okay so Loni Bergqvist thank you for being That's here close. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the pronunciation of the first name should be Loni or or Loni Either one is fine. Lonnie is how we would say it in English, but there's a lot of yeah. variation. So I answer yeah. to anything at this point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, Lonnie. Um, uh, so thanks for being here. And just, just for the folks that, you know, I, I feel like um, I've seen you popping up in various um, chats and various places and, you know, got quite a pervasive um, presence on LinkedIn, you know, see you in various networks and things like that. But I think in, in our network uh, at Neo Academy, there's, you know, a lot of people who are working in, um, you know, further and higher education as well. And there's mm-hmm. people who are not necessarily on the sort of pedagogical or uh, educator side, they're on the sort of campus management and, you know, that kind of thing. So there might mm-hmm. be folks there that don't know you. Um, could you just give us a bit of a, an overview about Imagine If, your consultancy, and just how it came about? Yeah, um, well, I think it starts uh, a long time ago. I won't go through the whole story, but I started as a teacher and I was a teacher in just a really normal uh, public school in San Diego, California. And I was becoming really, uh, I would say, disappointed and frustrated with the education system. Um, I felt like no matter how many times I, you know, dressed up or tried to make lessons really exciting, like kids just were still really disconnected from, from the curriculum and from what we were trying to do. So kind of by accident, um, there was a street uh, that our school was on and right on the other side was a school called High Tech High. And there was a colleague of mine that said, you know, I think you would really love this school called High Tech High. So without knowing a whole lot about project-based learning or what this magical place called High Tech High really did, um, I decided to go visit. And um, it just felt like walking through the front door, like my heart had just come home. Like it was a space where um, like kids had freedom, but they were doing work that was really meaningful to them. Um, It was authentic to them. They could explain what they were learning in a way that it really felt like they were owning it. It wasn't just like a teacher told them to do a task and they were doing it. So long story short, I ended up teaching at High Tech High for seven years and being involved in their graduate program. And then in 2013, I had this opportunity to start working with schools to use project-based learning. And that was, uh, yeah, we don't have to go into all of that. A lot of, uh, I would say ups and downs, a lot of learning around that, uh, just how schools shift and, and, and actually make a transformation with a new pedagogical approach, but, but also what are all of the other things that need to shift with that. Um, so I did that for a few years in the UK and then moved to Denmark because my husband is Danish and continued that work at a foundation here. And then in 2019 started Imagine If, and really the purpose behind Imagine If is to help schools and organizations use project-based learning as a catalyst really for transforming the experience that kids have in school. So we do that in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's really, I would say like bespoke uh, work with schools where we just take them where, where they're at and we figure out what they need to move forward. And then with other schools, it's, it's kind of rolling out a program that we support them with um, either in a whole municipality or with an individual school. So that's really the long story um, or the short version of the long story, <laughs> I should say. Yeah, I'm um, sure there's plenty ups and downs, as you say, and and, and we'll definitely yeah. dig into that because of the, the, the interesting thing as well is about the, the, the level of involvement uh, in terms of, you know, um, transformation, really investing in the change and the cultural shift yeah. is really interesting. But just to kind of um, uh, zoom back in a little bit for, again, folks that probably more in the FE and HE sort of space that, because um, I feel like PBL in, you know, secondary schools and things like that is, you know, we're at the point where it's people know it. Or they, they maybe don't use it in things, but they've they maybe attended a workshop and implemented a bit of this and a bit of that, but they, they're aware of what it is. But further education, higher education, I think there's still a lot of people that 
that don't really know how it is or even that it can be used there as well um, yeah. so just for those folks could you just give us a you know a quick rundown on what PBL is and what are some of the myths and misconceptions about it it's important to kind of look at what it isn't as well yeah um, I mean I think you could probably ask you know five different project-based learning experts this question and they might give you five different answers <laughs> so I would say that the first thing is that there, there really is no like definitive, like this is project-based learning, but there are some qualities that I think we all agree on that separates PBL from just kind of doing normal projects in school. And I think the first one that's really significant is that projects start from a place of authenticity. So they start from something that's rooted in the real world. Um, whereas I think normal projects start from the curriculum. So like if I'm doing a project on the American Revolution, we would learn about the American Revolution for three weeks and then kids would like make something afterwards. But projects are really designed for kids to either investigate or to solve a real world challenge or question. Um, and that's, that's a really significant difference between PBL and I think normal projects that are run in schools and higher education even. Um, the other big significant thing that I would say is that in project-based learning, students are really the ones that are asking questions and investigating and researching and kind of coming up with their own answers and their own explorations. Whereas I think in kind of normal projects, you know, the teacher might start with a set of things that they want kids to learn teach them all of those things, and then kids might do something with it afterwards. But this in project-based learning is really a process of learning by doing. So as I talked about like all of these kind of mistakes that we made with working with PBL to begin with, that actually is the process we want kids to go through. Um, we really want them to fail, fail often, and really learn from those uh, kind of experiences more so than like getting them everything to begin with and having them do it perfectly the first time. So I think those are two really big significant things. And the last one I would say is that with project-based learning, there is a purpose for the project. Like kids are doing something, creating something that has meaning to the world. So at the end of every project, we have a public exhibition of work, but we also do something with the work. We honor the work that kids have done. So like with that American Revolution project, you know, kids would turn it into me. If it was a great year, I'd put it up in the library somewhere. Like, you know, maybe it would get sent home and not end up in the dumpster. Um, but with projects, we really want to make sure that the work that kids are doing are going to someone that needs that information, needs that product, so that there is not only connection for kids in what they're, they're learning in the process, but also for what happens with that work afterwards. And really that's about honoring, you know, the learning and the hard work that kids have put into doing a project to begin with. Right. Okay. I mean, that, that, that resonates, I'm sure, with a lot of people because, I mean, the, the key word there, authenticity, is that, you know, the single component that everyone can agree on. And that's the, the, the sort of interesting thing that goes right the way up through education. So, I mean, obviously at, you know, grade three level and things you're talking about, you know, parents coming in and, and kids mm -hmm. explain almost like these science poster presentations kind of thing. Um, but that sense of ownership uh, over yeah. it, but, uh, you know, even up to say universities for, for people in FE and HE, um, that can obviously be things like um, entrepreneurial projects or design mm -hmm. projects or events or community activism or so, it, you know, with the, the authentic, authentic angle, it can be applicable outside the classroom walls, can't it? So um, that's, I think, something that people don't quite always, always see. I want to ask you about, uh, was it yesterday or the day before? Tell us about the day that you cried and why. <laughs> well, I just, I just want to say that, like, I, I actually cry really often. It's like not <laughs> abnormal for me to cry. Um, but but I think it's because I when I witness something that is really transformative for a young person, it really it hits me and it hits like um, that it's possible, first of all, but also um, the beauty in, in actually empowering young people just really there's something that it just hits my heart every time. Um, but I was working with a school here in Denmark um, and they ha had their first parent exhibition where the students had been working on a project about superheroes. And the question for the project, this is like small kids. So this is uh, year zero through three. So really, really small kids. Mm -hmm. um, and the project was about uh, how am I a superhero? 
And so throughout this project, they dug into, you know, what superheroes are and what villains are, and is there such thing as good and bad, or does everyone have a story? Um, and they created these comics about themselves and they did different art things about themselves as superheroes and their superpowers. And as we waited for the parents to come to this exhibition, we started noticing that about a half an hour before they started lining up. And actually they lined up all the way around the school. And because of Corona, we had to, you know, hold the distance and separate the classes. And when they started walking through the school, the kids were literally dragging their parents to show them these comics and the work that they did in this project. The parents, you know, had their, their phones out, they were taking pictures of their kids <laughs> with their work. The kids were talking about, and then I did this, and then I did this. And there was, there was such an energy and, and really, um, joy around this experience that kids were having and showing and being so proud of the work that they did, but also the parents and seeing, wow, like my kid did this, like this is, this is really amazing. Um, and I don't know that that happens with like a page in a math book. Like, I don't know that kids come home and drag their parents to their math book and say, look what I did. But, but there was, um, it, it really was just an incredible experience to witness. Also, the teachers that had been working with this project um, were also, I mean, they, they are tired. You know, we're a couple weeks from summer holiday here. <laughs> um, but they had so much energy seeing the parents and the students interact. And they remarked that this was a record turnout for parents. Every single kid in years zero through three had a parent represented at this exhibition, which was unheard of. Um, so yeah, I cried. I cried <laughs> yesterday. We've just had a comment in from uh, from Mar. Hey Mar, um, who's saying crying is a very humane act, isn't it? I cried the first time I experienced student-led conferences for the first time. <laughs> I felt a special energy too, Lonnie. And yeah. I think that this is the, um, a lot of professionals out there will resonate with not just this part of it, but your, your entire journey of that, that kind of, uh, you know, being, we all get into education for the right reasons. You know, nobody's in it for money because you'd be very disappointed. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's, it's a thankless task, teaching in schools and things like that. And so we need to draw energy from the, the impact we make and the difference we see and the dissatisfaction that comes from the kind of inauthentic learning experiences or the learning experiences that don't align with purpose and passion can be such a drain um, and I, I understand the way that teachers get initiative fatigue as well. And you must see it all the time with, oh, here's another thing, PBL, and that's yeah. the latest thing. And um, But the energy you get, as you say, you've got tired teachers. And I've experienced this too. I've gone into a classroom feeling exhausted and had such a great experience, but I've left with three times the energy I went in with. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's the experience that we're, we're looking for. I wonder about... Um, in terms of that that particular project, so you've got the, it was grade zero to three, wasn't it? Um, yeah. With the poster presentations. And just to kind of think about, you know, with PBL as well, use this as an example, um, just to tell folks a little bit about the, the sort of transversal nature of them, because um, if you can give us, a, you know, a bit of an overview of that project and how it worked and what, what were the different components, you know, so using elements from different uh, skills, Mm -hmm. uh, competencies, whatever you want to call them, you know, what were the different components and how were these um, rolled in to the project? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, the first, the first thing that these, uh, that was designed was the teachers actually figured out what things were students going to need to be able to know and do in order to create these products. So the students had a lot of freedom in order to, you know, to decide how they actually created some of the products in the project. But the teachers also went in with an idea of what the framework of those products would be so that they could actually backwards plan what that skills and what that knowledge is. And you know, you talked before about the misconceptions with project-based learning. And I think one of the misconceptions is that there is not rigorous academic learning that happens in PBL. And I would say that's one of the, the most um, common things that I hear, but also it is true of some projects when we don't actually 
put the time into planning and actually uncover what are the skills and competencies needed. So while it's a misconception, I think it is an experience that some have when a project isn't you know, planned really well or when we actually don't go through this process of really trying to explore what's needed. So that was the first thing is the, is the teachers actually planned this, this project. It was the first PBL project that they did. And so we did a lot wow. of work to really support them mm -hmm. to, so they felt confident, but also so that they, um, they had a good project planned. So they started actually with hook week activities. And these are activities that really got the kids into superheroes, you know, like what is a superhero? So that ranged from comic books. We had a comic book expert come into the classes. Um, and he was this great like nerdy guy that brought all of these like old comic books, you know, that were worth just like a ton of money. And you could just feel the passion that he had for the comic book world and for superheroes and for villains. And he could tell all about that. And then we also had like local superheroes. So the kids brainstormed like what people they thought were superheroes. And it was things like, you know, a, a police officer or a, um, there was a guy from the military that came, there was a nurse that came. And actually they came in and we talked about everyday superheroes. And what does that mean to be a superhero? And then the kids, because the driving question for the project was, how are you a superhero? They actually had to do some investigation on themselves as well and talk about what they were good at and reflect on the things that they really liked to do and that they, they felt like they really loved to do. Um, what were their superpowers? And then they also needed to reflect on, are they a villain? Is there this good and bad kind of thing that happens? And, yeah. and, and what does that mean? So, so really, the, the, we started with the kids. Um, so the content actually came a lot from the kids in the beginning and then unfolded over time to link these experiences that kids were having with also, okay, well, let's look at a traditional superhero here. Then, I mean, the main part of the content for this project was actually developing a comic where the kid was the character in the comic as a superhero or a villain, and they needed to create this story. So when you're working with kids in grades zero through three, you know, writing a story, finding the arc of a story, using comics and pictures to actually tell a story, this is, you know, significant a part of, you know, English curriculum or Danish yeah. curriculum in this case in a lot of places. So it was woven in giving meaning to the overall question, are you, you know, how are you a superhero? But also, I mean, that's rigorous academic content that's now linked to something that really has meaning. And then the last part of the project, which we already talked about, was making the work public. Something happened to it besides this experience of just handing it over to a teacher, a teacher giving it a grade and then, you know, something, maybe it goes in the trash, maybe it gets sent home for summer. So this kind of public exhibition of work where kids are actually reflecting about their process and about all of the learning that went in and was connected to this piece of work is something that's also, you know, was really significant and kind of solidifies the reflection and the learning process um, throughout the whole thing. So there's a lot of um, quite weighty concepts in there, sort of pedagogically speaking, that when you talk about things like metacognition, you know, um, mm -hmm. of learning process, you know, that it would be very easy to sort of say, well, grade zero to three, how can metacognition take place when that bit of the brain's not really even there yet, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And there you are. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's about meeting people where they are, isn't it? Because yeah. um, it's almost like if, if you take care of the why, you know, um, and, and remove the arbitrary nature of learning, you know, um, turn your book to open your book to page 12, because that's what we're going to do. And, you know, there's absolutely no voice and choice in there. It's, it's yeah. almost as if, it, if you, if you get that element in there, the, the true learning, all of the things we talk about, and we talk about experiential learning, we talk about authenticity, you know, we talk about collaboration, we talk about diversity and inclusion, and all of these things that are you know, really not that straightforward in a lockstep class, mm -hmm. but it sounds like, I mean, so for example, and you know, I, I'd be interested if I'm right here, cause I don't know much about the Danish curriculum, but um, if, if uh, the kids are doing this project, so obviously they've got, they've got um, choice in, in sort of certain forks, you know, how do I want to exemplify this or demonstrate this or show this? So I guess that, you know, some are more into the, um, the art, part of it and you know drawing and coloring and the superheroes and 
all that kind of stuff. And some are more into narrating the story arc and yeah. uh, all that kind of thing. And some are more into just the, dreaming up the concepts and then hoping others yeah. will do the work, you know? <laughs> um, and so what I'm thinking is that obviously these parts are tied, they're hitting different points in the, the, the learning plan or whatever you want to call it there, um, but not all at the same time. So is it a case that, is this kind of an argument for PBL being um, more of a, a mainstay of the approach? Because if you do that, it's kind of really, you've really got the whole year, if you think about it, for different kids to hit those different points on the learning path in their own way, in a time that it makes sense to them, rather than just because it's in our schedule. Is that, mm-hmm. is that more or less how it works? I mean, it can, it absolutely can. I think by the very nature of of taking this kind of one size fits all way of doing school, which is, you know, how typically we do school and by opening it up to do project work, there's, there's a natural personalization process that goes into it. How deep schools go into that personalization process depends a bit on I think the willingness of people to kind of give up that control and a lot of that does depend on some of the systems that people are in. So in Denmark, for example, I mean, the teachers are very willing to say, okay, so you've done a podcast for this project. We're going to check that off. And now for this project, when you make a video, for example, we're going to check off these competencies. So they have an over over plan or overview plan for the year. And then actually they can personalize it to be individualized for each of the students. So like you're saying, over time, they can hit all of the competencies or all of the curriculum. Um, Denmark is also set up though where class sizes are relatively small. So these classes, for example, had about 16 students in each of the classes, which meant that if you're a teacher with, you know, a first grade class, like can pretty easily keep track of where kids are at and what they've worked on. Whereas I know like in the US when I had a class of 40 kids and I had six periods every day, I mean, there would be no way that I could actually personalize learning to every kid because that would just be, you know, really, really uh, an ambitious task. So, so some of it depends on the system that the teachers are in and also their willingness to kind of deviate from the one size fits all uh, mold that we're in now in most cases. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking, I can imagine, um, and I know you've heard it before, uh, but I can imagine there's, so there's teachers watching this that are in different educational systems and there will be a temptation to think, well, that doesn't sound like my reality and therefore PBL is not for me. So, um, what do you think, what are some of the common, um, challenges you could say barriers to PBL, you know, the, um, when you, you, you encounter that in discussions and people say, you know, I imagine things like the, the perception of the time it takes, Mm -hmm. uh, the additional work or the perception of additional work. It sounds like a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. what are some of the the challenges that you hear kind of upfront? Um, how do you get around them? Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the tricky thing, isn't it? Um, and, and, you know, to what extent do people, um, come on board after experience it? Well, I, I, there, there's a lot of things I hear, um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and actually, I, th- I think you know we, we're all products of the system that we're in. So so I think it's actually right and true to have questions or to have you know some some skepticism around project based learning. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's quite healthy actually. Um, one of the biggest things is that you know if you're in a system where there's an exam, for example, or there's a mandated curriculum that you need to get through for the year, is how am I going to get through that we're taking all this time for projects now like like and I'm not feeling like maybe I even can get through that curriculum as it is how am I going to make sure that students are prepared for this exam and and what I would say is that there is a little bit of a leap of faith that needs to happen um, because you won't be able to see teaching and learning the same way it's not going to look the same so you're not going to be able to walk home at the end of the day and say hey did my kids memorize this this and this you're not actually going to be sure of that until you, you've you actually gone through this whole project. Or, I mean, you, you also have assessments along the way, but it, again, it's not gonna look the same. So the first piece of advice that I have for teachers, specifically teachers, is actually to make a year plan and to start mapping out what are the projects that you're going to be working with students in. And then in Denmark, we actually have learning goals that are separated by subject knowledge and then also competencies. And we do an activity where we put posters 
up with all of the projects that we'll run. And then the teachers actually physically take the learning goals, clip them out and put them onto the posters so that they can see the intersection of subjects. And they also can see exactly what the competencies are that students are gonna be working with in these projects. And then we also have a, a poster on the side that we call homeless learning goals, um, for lack of a better word, I think. <laughs> but but any, any of that content that we're not able to fit in authentically into these projects, we put on that poster. And that poster then becomes, maybe there's some buffer weeks between projects and we need to teach some subjects discreetly or we need to do a unit on geometry because it hasn't fit in anywhere. We can see that. So you can actually start to anticipate over the year where you know these things are going to fit in and also ensure that there's content, rigorous content that's put into the project. So you're not kind of going in with like a loosey goosey, well, we'll learn something in here. We're not sure what it is. Now, yeah. now I, there's nothing wrong with that approach either. I mean, that that is probably the most authentic way to do project-based learning. But that's a big lift for teachers that are working kind of in the system now where they have a lot of these, um, where they have curriculum and they have exams, you know, to just kind of say, oh, go in and follow the kids the whole process. That's that, yeah. That's actually, I think, a bit further along the way. But just, I mean, teachers just being able to see, oh, wait, it's all there. <laughs> like we're going to get there. Um, and this is when it's going to happen can be a huge like shoulders down uh, way of going into project-based learning. But the other thing that I think is really critical is that um, I've seen a lot of schools start this process of using PBL by saying like, just, just do like a two week project, you know, just, just mini project, baby steps, two week project, go into it two weeks. And, um, and I think the intention is good. I think the intention is you get some experience with this and then we're gonna leave that experience really wanting to dive in and to do more. But what I've seen often happen actually is that these two weeks, because it's such a short period of time, we end up reinforcing a lot of the things that we go into the project thinking about PBL already. So if we go in thinking PBL is a great thing, we'll probably leave with that idea. But if we go in thinking, well, kids can't learn something deeply in PBL and you only have two weeks, I mean, chances are they're not going to learn something deeply in two weeks, right? Or if you go into a project saying, well, kids can't produce high quality work or they can't solve their own problems. Well, two weeks isn't a long period of time, actually, to create high quality work. So I have a little bit of a, um, and there's different schools of thought on this, but a little bit of like a feeling in my stomach when I hear schools say that they're going to try this approach. I think it's maybe better idea to start with, you know, a six week project, have a lot of planning time, a lot of support and planning up to that point, and also with implementation, um, and really seeing this as a journey also for the professionals. It takes one, two, three, four, sometimes a couple years of running PBL before you really feel like you've got a good understanding of the process and, and also how to really facilitate great projects. Um, so it's, it's kind of after that time and that mindset of being a learner yourself and actually going into it thinking, we're not gonna get this perfect the first time that I see teams uh, and teachers actually really start to kind of get on board in a a much deeper way, actually, than um, when they have just a couple weeks of an experience, for example. All of that is really understandable because, I mean, it seems like any way, any way that you talk about um, positive transformation or positive reform in education, there's an element of letting go, you know, mm -hmm. whichever way you turn. Yeah. And that is a scary thing. And I'm not yeah. going to make any, you know, um, blanket assumptions about the longer you've been in teaching, the harder it is or anything like that. But there is a certain institutionalization of, you know, feeling that pressure year after year to mm -hmm. hit those goals, you know, um, in a certain order, in a certain way. And that can be really hard to let go of. So, I mean, it's great. I think that you're meeting people where they are. Um, I've, I remember, you know, going in with them, um, teaching something, some kind of communication class or something like that. And having people, you know, wander about with post-it notes on their heads, doing all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. And then one guy said, why are we doing this? And I thought, actually, you know, I really should have put the learning goals up there, you know, <laughs> because <laughs> there's a lot of trust going on here and I'm kind of, yeah. <laughs> I'm not really taking this into consideration. Um, so I think the way you're doing that is great. And those kind of, you know, the homeless goals as well, like we will get to that. 
so people can, and I'm going to steal the phrase shoulders down, by the way. Mm. I really like that. I really like that. Um, so, I mean, there's an element of, I guess, um, meeting people where they are and making sure that to, to the, to as much as possible, you kind of mitigate those common um, fears mm-hmm. that are, that are very real and very understandable. Um, but I also note that you, you said, you know, that it's, the sort of short-term thing is, you know, is not always so effective, but so on your website, you offer those different levels of intervention, you know, from Mm -hmm. workshops up to the kind of, do you actually want to transform your school? So how do you deal with that then? So you're going in to do a workshop, you know, um, how do you manage expectations, but yet um, get people excited about PBL in, in such a short space of time? That's a, a delicate balancing act. It is, and it's a great question. Um, actually, I, I don't think we're very effective uh, with like one-off workshops on what is project-based learning. Um, and, and I'll just be really honest about that. And, and maybe we're doing something completely wrong. I don't know, but we tend to actually steer clear of those, even though they're, they're on our website. And the reason we'd steer clear of those, we, we do them, but we do them in relationship with actually forming a deeper relationship with the school. So, so when a school is like, can you come in and do like three hours? What is project-based learning? You know, we say yes. And we would also like to offer, you know, two support days during the school year to help your teachers plan projects, for example. So we, we try as much as possible to, I think, align some expectations from the beginning. But the other thing is that um, I think a lot of how schools use project-based learning depends on what the existing culture of the school already is. So schools that actually um, are... are how do I say this? Schools that have a culture where teachers are learning from each other and they're collaborating in not just, you know, a practicality way, but they're collaborating in a sense of talking about student learning and really taking that pedagogical development approach. These schools actually don't need a lot around PBL. They, they can take that three-hour workshop, some inspiration, and actually take PBL and run with it because they've already had this culture built of supporting each other within the school. The schools that we have the most, um, I would say, the least effectiveness in these kind of three hour workshops are schools where teachers are teaching very much in isolation. They might collaborate with the teaching team around, you know, what's happening Tuesday morning or something with a field trip, but then they go off into their classroom and they close the door and this is their world now. Um, these kind of schools really have a difficult time because it isn't just about shifting the pedagogical approach. It's also about shifting the culture that's, that's happening, the professional culture among the adults. And that actually is a heavier lift for a lot of schools and a lot of teachers than, than actually just running a project. So there's, there's the cultural part. And then the last piece that kind of has to lock in is also the organizational part. So if schools are organized in a way where their schedules are completely fixed, there's no flexibility around time or around, you know, subjects and everything needs to be taught discreetly in 45 minutes. These are also schools that have a really difficult time moving forward with project-based learning. So before, just practically, before we run, you know, a three-hour What is PBL workshop, We actually meet with the leadership team and we try to get a little bit deeper into what, how is the culture of the school here? What is possible with the organization? So we can also get a little bit of a feeling of, you know, is this something we come in and just provide inspiration or actually do we need to plant some seeds around shifting some of these other parts of the school in order to really allow for PBL to take hold? Um, but yeah. that's hard to do in three hours. And, uh, and I think yes. we, uh, <laughs> we, we know that. <laughs> and, and also, uh, do, do you mandate yeah. that though? I mean, when you go and have these very difficult discussions, um, yeah. without, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, people are, this is the way we do things. I mean, that's essentially what a culture yeah. is. This is who we are and this is how we do things. And so sometimes it's difficult not to personalize when that is questioned. Um, yes. I imagine you've had a lot of pretty difficult conversations but um to what extent do you sort of set red lines and say well look if we're going to do this uh you know we want to we want to do it in a way that it's at least got the best chance of success otherwise there's no point I mean do you do you kind of draw red lines or do you find that you're able to pretty much work with anything or um, I think a lot of it is dependent on the leadership team. So if, if, if usually the ones who call us are the school leaders and, and that signals to us that they are interested in something 
that's a little bit different. So just from the start, I think we're set up in a different way. But actually, we're working with the whole municipality here in Denmark, and it's it's kind of mandated from the top to do this work. So we're working with schools that have no choice, which is a totally different <laughs> conversation. <laughs> yeah. But actually, you know, every every workshop, every meeting, you're going to have a couple of people that are skeptical or that are not buying into it or are kind of sitting in the corner. And, and actually, the way we work with that is really through relationships, you know, trying to understand who is this person and, and why is there a barrier here? And how do we actually help this, this person fall in love with project-based learning? They might not buy into all of the stuff that the school has fallen in love with but every person I, I really believe this every person can find something in project-based learning that reminds them of why they became an educator and the things that they love to do with kids and young people so so sometimes it's also about seeing that person noticing that person and then also if we don't have a strong relationship or a long-term relationship with the school really trying to empower the leadership team or someone else to tap into what is this person thinking and how can we actually help them find the fire <laughs> for project-based learning so so i think at the end of the day you know this kind of change process i mean you can apply any sexy change management theory to, to this work, but I, I really believe it's about people and about changing the hearts and minds of people. And that has nothing to do with, you can have the best three hour leadership or three hour workshop in the world um, and still have a big need actually to come away and, and work with individuals. Um, so so some people understand that, some leaders are already tapped into that, and, and some that's that's a big lift for them actually to to really work with people in a different way. Um, but we try to kind of hit all of those angles, especially with leadership teams to start if we don't have a long-term you know relationship with the school. Yeah, you must have become very, very skilled over the years at navigating this, but I mean, it, <laughs> I think that what 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 stands out there is i mean it's the idea of what we talked about before we came on live that there is a, you know there's a reason we we got into this in the first place mm -hmm. and you know I, I i completely trust that that is within anybody in education and it's just a case of you know connecting that to that you know so yeah. if those two things are in alignment and i i wonder about you must have seen over the years a lot of different you know uh, very high impact moments I guess, particularly in situations where there was challenges in, in even getting to that, um, you know, it's the kind of thing that I find in education, you know, if you've come up through the sort of mainstream way of doing things, which I, I did, and, and it sounds like you did as well, and the, the, you've got, you know, a big class of, of, of young people and the transformation that happens is sometimes um, over years and you kind of have to take points and say, well, look at the way they were then and now, and you've got to step back and reflect on it. It doesn't really happen in front of you, um, except with maybe one or two, and you see these sort of aha moments for them. But then you've got project, you've got um, things like PBL or what I would what I would call sort of the, the high impact experiences. You know that that it's almost like this is condensed, and you see you see people, um, you know, young killer kids like standing taller. Uh, right in front of your eyes and yeah. uh, you know for me that's that's the moment where it's like yeah this is this is the right path this is this is the right thing to be doing you know it's um no question you, you've seen it in front of you what are the moments that stand out to you um in your experience of working with schools and PBL or working with young people that will will, will really stay with you that you saw authentic transformation uh happening in front of you um, yeah, now I'm going to try not to cry because these, these are the kind of moments where, um, yeah, where, where I think, I think everything becomes like crystal clear, as you're saying yeah. about this way of working. And, and one of those moments in a big way happened when I was a teacher at high tech high, and we had a class of kids that was really, they were really challenging. They were ninth grade students. Um, we had issues with drug use. Uh, there was just a lot of challenges within this class. And my teaching partner and I actually decided that we wouldn't do projects because it was just, it was too hard to just kind of get them into it. You know, like we needed to just kind of get them in seats. You know, I think we've all had classes like this as educators where you're just like, this should not be this difficult anymore. Yes. Oh yes. <laughs> um, but but there was a, there came a point where we had an art teacher come in and, and she was like, let's do a project. 
project. And, and we said, well, we can't really think of what we should do. And so the art teacher said, well, can you remember anything that like kids are really into over this school year? And I could remember one day in December um, and it was like December 12th or something like that. And um, there had been a school shooting in the, in the US in Newtown, Connecticut. And actually the teacher who was uh, next door to us her best friend's daughter was killed in the school shooting. Mm -hmm. And the director came in and, and told us what had happened and also said that this teacher was, you know, really affected by this situation. And I remember this class of like rough and tough, you know, kids um, were just completely silent and, and yeah. they wanted to turn on the news. They wanted to talk about why this would happen. You know, they, they just were captivated by this moment. And um, we kind of just ditched the lesson for the day and just watched the news and, and just kind of saw this whole thing unfold. So I told my teaching partner and the art teacher about this and they said, well, why don't we design a project to honor this little girl? I thought, okay, what could we do there? And so, well, what, what we could maybe make a park because that would give some kind of positive impact to our community, you know, so we could actually create a better place for the world, but also do it in honor of this girl named Aviel. So um, the pivotal moment for me was actually when we launched the project and um, through the connection of this other teacher, we had on Skype Aviel's father and he brought us around, uh, you know, her bedroom and showed us like her little pink cowboy boots next to the door. And, and I saw this class of kids, you know, again, these like just tough kids who were, you know, drinking yeah. on the weekends just completely falling in love with this little girl. Yeah. They saw that, that this was her, that, you know, they were like, this is my sister's age and how could someone do this? And, and, and in that moment, um, like I knew that there was something so powerful about this idea of real world projects that I knew that there was no going back. <laughs> there, there was no sitting at a desk anymore, just kind of working through a textbook. Like this, this had to be what learning was. And in that project, you know, over the next, I think it was like a three month project. It was a long time. I mean, I, I saw kids transform in the sense that they were no longer doing work just to do work because I told them to, they were doing work for Aviel Richmond. They were doing work for this little girl. And that, that project was transformative um, for me as a teacher to see kids on this journey, but also for individual kids themselves. We had a kid who had severe autism. The whole year would come into class, just sit at his computer, really difficult to kind of pull it away. And during this project, we made him our editor because he would notice all of the spelling mistakes on the board the whole year. <laughs> you know, he was that kid that would raise his hand and that's wrong. <laughs> and um, so we started noticing as we started creating this park and kids were sending out emails to contractors and to, you know, real live people um, that there were all kinds of errors. So we said, well, why don't we make this kid our editor? So every email had to go to this kid first and he had to take his computer with a piece of paper, walk over to a student, tell them what was wrong about their email <laughs> and then they could send it out. And at the end of these project times, we run a thing called celebrations where kids really publicly celebrate how another kid has helped them during that day. And, and this student who is our editor was celebrated almost every single day a kid that would just come into class, sit down, no one would bother him for you know, almost the whole school year. And now all of a sudden he was playing a pivotal role in getting this park built and in helping his classmates. And, and it was that project, all, all of the things about that project is just like, you can't go back. You, you can never go back from this yeah. experience. And I know not every project is like that. Not every project is that meaningful, but, but there is something that fundamentally switches, I think, when you have these experiences with young people in this real way um, and you just think, damn, these kids are good, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I completely, um, I, th first of all, thank you for sharing that story. You know, it's, it's beautiful. And um, those deep tissue experiences as educators, you know, where heart and head are connected, Mm -hmm. uh, and there is such a shift. It's as you say, 
um, you can never go back and, and, and you have, I find that, I mean, um, I've had similar experiences in, 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 you know, in education, but just trying to find my own way without a culture around me of, mm-hmm. you know, understanding of things like PBL and stuff like that. Cause there's, you know, it depends, as you say, on the culture of the school. And sometimes I've been the only one like doing something different and it's very isolating yeah. And I've had those, you know, teaching in Sweden and we talked about earlier in the high school and I had those rough, tough kids um, who had that barrier. And, you know, the only way that I could um, possibly, I was teaching English, the only way I could possibly do it was to meet them where they were. They're all listening to hip hop. So it's like, well, let's learn through hip hop. So every day we're listening to hip hop and dissecting it. And we, you know, they wrote raps in English and then we, we produced an album and I taught, I brought my decks in and taught them to DJ and all kinds of stuff. But but the other, you know, the the rest of the school's kind of looking at me like this guy's mental, you know, Um, why is he, are they DJing in there? Like, you know, the math teacher Um, (laughs) and count beats. Yeah. There's, there's so many ways and you just find, and that's the thing that that interests me about, um, about PBL as well, because the story of, of this kid who's, you know, become the editor, it's like in the fluidity of a learning experience that is, you know, definitely that the perception that it's un, unstructured is is very unfair, but it's unscripted as such, you know, mm-hmm. and that's very yeah. different, isn't it? And, yeah. um, you know, I've, I've always been interested if you, there's two different dictionaries in English that um, have different definitions of the word structure and one focuses on kind of rigidity and the other one focuses on um, a, a sort of logical fashioning of elements together. And mm-hmm. that, that is structure too, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's given a bad rep. So within that, um, in PBL, it seems like, you know, people have the space to find out where they fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that leads me to the next question about, you know, how d- is this an argument that, that you use? Because I think that teachers increasingly in most education systems are actually really things like neurodiversity and special educational needs and all of that are very much on the radar. Um, to what extent does that play into the appeal of PBL to schools and, you know, and what kind of arguments do you make there? Well, I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's a logical fit um, because around project-based learning, we haven't talked so much about this today, but there is a culture that you're trying to build as a class of working together and actually needing each other. You know, I don't think group work is foreign in classrooms. Like you throw kids into a group, but, but having kids work on something that, that matters, right? That actually needs all of the people and all of the skills in the group in order to do something with it is a different experience. And project-based learning opens up for that opportunity. So for me, the culture in a class around project-based learning is actually honoring the talents of every single kid. You know, we, we operate from a deficit perspective so often. We look at what kids yeah. can't do, but we start with what kids can do. What do they love to do? And let's start there and actually build in, you know, ways to support the deficits or the, the areas of growth along the way. But actually, let's start with, with where kids feel comfortable and actually where their joy and where their love is as well. So with this student, for example, you know, the, the editor, I mean, he had a lot of talents. He had a lot of gifts but none of those were really honored in a traditional educational setting. Yeah. You know, it was always focused on what he can't do. So within a project, we say that we set the floor and we open the ceiling. And what we're really trying to do with that is set a baseline of everything that, you know, all the kids are going to learn this thing, for example, but then how do we really open up so that all of the kids can find their own way and their own talents and really use who they are and honor who they are in this classroom setting or in this community setting, it doesn't need to be a classroom. How can we really build on that? And I think when we're trying to look at, you know, the types of communities that we want in the world, I mean, isn't that what we want? There's no other place in the world as adults where we focus on what someone can't do. I mean, we don't have friends and we're like, well, you can't do this. Therefore you can't come to our dinner party. I mean, no, we, we, we actually, we focus on what, who people are. And, I, and project-based learning gives us that kind of opportunity to build that culture within our class in a really real, real way, because we need all of those talents if we have the courage to see them and see kids as individuals that have talents and skills and interests. So mm-hmm. just by breaking down you know, 
kind of the one size fits all that we normally do. I mean, we, there's so many opportunities for inclusion, for diversity, but most importantly, I think honoring who kids are and, and saying that that's, that's good enough. <laughs> we'll work on all the other stuff too, but you know, who you are is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. to stop and take a moment and think about, you know, rather than the traditional approach, which is well done, but, or, yeah, right. okay, you've done that, now the next thing. And it's like, you know, yeah. Just let me take a moment to internalize, you know, what I've done well. Um, yeah. And there's not enough space for that. Um, it's, it's, I find that, you know, in, in the world of the professional world, it's widely accepted that, you know, diverse teams are strong teams. And, well, diversity is nothing without inclusion, of course. There's mm. got to be the culture of it. But you want people that, that know themselves. Mm. Um, you know, you, you want authenticity. You want people that know wh- what they've got to contribute. Um, and I find that, you know, so my generation, you know, we, we, you know, I, like I found out last week, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, what, what I really like. It's, um, and my whole kind of mission in education has been, um, what if, uh, or imagine if, to borrow your, your, your phrase, um, imagine if um, kids could find out really, really young, you know, what makes them, them, um, where they fit in, what, what they've got to contribute, what, what ignites something inside them. Yeah, because I feel like you know, as as your experiences have um, given form to something you know within you that that says I I can't go back now, I feel like that's something that we owe to 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 young people as well to say, mm-hmm. you know, I've experienced this. I want you to experience that too. I want you to to know to say this is me. That's not. That's not. This is where I fit yeah. in. This is what I've got to give. And here are my boundaries mm-hmm. as well. And to have courage and confidence in that um i i feel like you know things would be vastly different in this world if people were more in touch with their their authentic selves um now that might be uh, yeah it's very difficult to stop myself from getting idealistic and i I sense that you're (laughs) i sense you're the same you know uh, we're gonna go there (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) so this leads me on to kind of what is really the the guiding question for all this is um you know, I, you know, I think I first encountered you through the Learn Life community. And so that you've got these schools like Learn Life, um, the new school, the green school, who are basically saying, you know, it's like the sort of etch a sketch end of education, you know, kind of shake this, I don't want this anymore, I'm going to start from zero and do my own thing. Um, so they're in that end, you know, where they're setting up something completely new as a paradigm from the ground up and kind of um, saying to education, you know, this is who we are, deal with it. Um, yeah. And you've got uh, the other end, which is, you know, schools which are, which are saying, we know we want to become more, say, learner-centered, maybe not learner-directed, but learner-centered. Um, we want more experiential learning. We want more authenticity. We want to um, foster inclusion, you know, and, and honor diversity and all of that. So do you think that PBL is the thing that is possibly a stepping stone, maybe the stepping stone to change in education, the thing that we can kind of all agree on in the middle? Um, do you th- and, and do you think that, you know, schools that have experienced this might be more willing to take those further steps to, to making it part of a cultural shift and moving to, um, you know, andragogical approaches and, and you know, learner-directed? Do you, do you think that's, is that your, your vision or... Yes. Uh, well, yes. <laughs> That's just the way to say it. You know, I, I really, um, a lot of our mission and a lot of the schools that we work with are the schools that you talked about that are on this end that are that are really just the normal schools. Uh, because, you know, the, the Learn Life community, the schools that are doing on this side, doing something completely different, they will help accelerate the change because they're going to provide you know, models that we can see, they're going to provide like a new way of thinking about things. So, so we absolutely need them. But I am not in the camp where we just alienate all of the schools that are over here and just say, well, we just get rid of the system. Because I think about the kids that are in those schools right now. And I think about how the kids that need this kind of teaching and learning the most are in these schools over here. They're not in the schools that are radical, whose you know, parents are going to send them to something totally different. So, so for me, I think that project-based learning is the way that I see moving forward. And if there was another way, I would ditch project-based learning tomorrow <laughs> and, and focus on that. Um, but, but 
I think the one thing that project-based learning does is I think moving away from this one size fits all model, project-based learning also can be personalized. It also can be tailored to fit the needs of schools and to fit the needs of kids within those schools. There's some people that use PBL, you know, really strictly for future skills and 21st century skills. And their projects focus heavily on, on really working with those skills and competencies and projects. There are other schools that really want the authenticity piece and, and really strive for kids, you know, getting out, doing field experiences, you know, really like transferring the learning that's happening in the classroom to the outside world. So project-based learning actually enables us to achieve like tons of different things. And so wherever you are at a school and whatever you're driving towards or really wanting to achieve as a school, what your values are, you know, you can actually achieve that with project-based learning. So, so I think there's a lot of beauty in that situation. The other thing that I think about PBL, and we talked a little bit about this, is that it is a major catalyst for cultural change in a school and organizational change in a school. And there is not a lot of other approaches that I would say hit this kind of holistic whole school rethinking than project-based learning. If, if you go deep into it, you know, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of schools that do PBL kind of like, oh, we'll do an hour a week or something like that. And whether that really hits, I think, major change, I don't know. I think kids still get a different experience than they would normally. But the schools that really go all in, I mean, they, they are really transforming you know, everything that they do. And when we look at school for the future, we really look at what's needed for kids, but also the kind of, you know, ecosystems that are needed to support that. I mean, we are looking at also shifting culture in school and organization in school. So project-based learning for me hits those things, but also done it, it does it in a way that makes sense. You know, it does it in a way that's actually necessary to facilitate great learning for kids. Um, so, so it's, it's hard, like, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's not easy yeah. work and it's long-term work and it's, it's can be exhausting work, but it's also, um, it, it is a way forward. You know, it isn't a project mm -hmm. that you just take on for a year or two. It is, this is how we will work from now on, or at least that's, you know, um, maybe that's not what's said straight up, but I think the schools that have more success have that mindset with it. Yeah. It, it seems like, um, if you think about the you know, the kind of the buzzwords and the, 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 the hot button kind of approaches at the moment, things like nature-based learning and play, uh, the pedagogy mm -hmm. of play and stuff like that, which, you know, I know in Denmark and, you know, you're near Bielund and the whole Lego thing is, yeah. is quite a big deal. Um, we actually have um, our strategic director of education, Scotland here is, um, you know, used to work there okay. at Lego and um, play-based pedagogy is is very much a thing in, in Scotland as well and yeah. so you've got a lot of great things happening but as you say it seems like um, whichever you know thing you want to focus on whether you want the experiential and the play-based thing or the nature-based or you want your kids to become change makers and activists and get out in the community you want the entrepreneurial side um, yeah. it sounds like project-based learning can can mold itself around all of that which is yeah. the the beautiful thing you know and just to, to kind of to finish off and let you know, I wanted to ask you, it's not it's not like um, you've been working with PBL for for 20 years. Mm. You know, you've been working very intensively with it um, for, um, you know, what, five, five years, six years? Or? Uh, it would be like eight years, but eight also years. then teaching, then teaching too. And so. teaching too. So in that time, I'd be really interested to know, have you felt a shift? Have you felt like it's gathering pace? Um, and, and, you know, do you see uh, a tipping point? Because I imagine you're connected with PBL specialists in, in all mm -hmm. over the world, yeah. you know, and you must talk a lot and things like that. I mean, is there a sense that we're approaching that point of it being a real thing, like in the mainstream or, you know, where does that sit with you? Yeah, I, I absolutely feel that there's been a shift. Um, right. I mean, when, when I started working at High Tech High, I mean, there really was not even a role to go and help schools do PBL. Like that, that was kind of a foreign thing. And so, so when I first started doing that in 2013, like, like it was really trying to figure out, like there was a couple of other groups that were doing a little bit of that, but, but there was not this kind of, um, I, th I think massive need for consultants to use project-based learning or to get mm -hmm. support with that. So, so just that piece shows me that there's not only more interest, but also that, that schools are taking an active, um, 
step towards using project-based learning in a really transformative way. The one thing that I would say, um, I mean, COVID I think too has also accelerated change in ways that we have no idea right now. And yeah. I don't think we'll really understand the effects of that for, for some more years. Um, but I just know from, from what I hear from people around the world is that there's more and more schools that are you know, really reaching out and wanting support with PBL. I think my biggest fear though around project-based learning um, is that it is gonna become a fad. It'll be, remember yeah. in uh, the early 2020s when we were all trying PBL and, and that, you know, like in the next 10 years, like everyone will kind of dabble and have a chance at it, but because we don't see it as necessarily something that requires transformation from other parts of the school or because we kind of do the two week projects or something that actually project-based learning in a sense either gets watered down to a way where our collective definition of PBL is something different from maybe even what we're talking about today, mm -hmm. or it's something that people are really going to ditch because it's just too difficult um, to, to do unless we really start thinking also about the culture and really about, you know, I think intentionally how we're working with project-based learning as a way forward. So um, how, how do you safeguard that, Lolani? I mean, if it, so PBL is, is obviously very flexible. <laughs> You know, it's, it can be lots of different things to lots of different people, but there must be um, common benchmarks of, um, you know, kind of critical success factors. And I've heard of things like, you know, the gold standard PBL implementation and all these kind of things. But um, is there a kind of recognized um, seal or something like that? Or is that something that your consultancy would sort of move into? Because it sounds like this is the point to protect the reputation of PBL itself. Mm -hmm. um, because the danger, of course, is that it gets written off and, oh, we tried it and it didn't work. Yeah. Um, yeah. But how did you try it? You know, um, like take me yeah. through the process. Um, is that something you've, you, you've thought about uh, moving into? Yeah, I mean, I think about it a lot. I, I mean, I think uh, PBL Works, formerly the Buck Institute with their gold standard model, I think has become what most of us would refer to as being like, th this is kind of our seal of what good PBL is. Um, but the interpretation of that, and I think the actual use of that is really diverse. So, so yeah. it creates some issues. There's a group of us um, that, that work with Tom Markham. I don't know if you're familiar with him, yeah. but th yeah. there's, there's like 10 of us that, that work together. Um, in an informal way, but really try to collectively push the understanding of project-based learning and kind of like, you know, hold our ground when it comes to like what great PBL is. So we're active on, there's huge project-based learning support group on Facebook. Like we're really active on there, trying to just kind of continue to maybe push ideas around what project-based learning is, but also, um, you know, provide support and provide new ways for people to think about, you know, what are these essential elements that we're striving for? Um, so I, I do think there's work to be done. I think some yeah. of it is kind of out of our hands and it will be what it will be. So I think that the best way that we move forward is actually working with schools to be great models of what great PBL is so that other people can right. see that and be like, oh, that's great PBL. Um, yeah. So we're investing, I think, a lot of our efforts into really supporting these schools to be great models. And hopefully that will continue to push the narrative and kind of prevent that, you know, yeah, the other um, interpretations. And so for people out there that want to know more about um, what, more about you and your, your consultancy, um, because I know you're active on things like a clubhouse and stuff like that, mm -hmm. um, where can they go to, to hear more about you and find out more about you uh, and what you do? Well, our website is imagineif.dk. Um, and, and that has like just some, I think, basic information about who we are. And also uh, there's like a resources page that has hopefully some helpful things around how to think about project-based learning. Mm -hmm. um, but we also run a clubhouse conversation every week uh, with Tom Markham actually uh, called the PBL Exchange. And that's on Thursdays at six o'clock um, Central Eastern, Central European, Central European time. time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, and there we, we dig into all kinds of conversations around project-based learning from the very theoretical to also like the very practical, like 
what do I do about this project? So mm -hmm. it's just a great place where actually educators from all over the world can come and share their ideas and their experiences, which is really rich. And actually Tom and I both get a lot from those conversations to use in our own practice. Yeah. Um, and then you can also, you know, find me on LinkedIn, Lonnie Belkvist, and then always email Lonnie at imaginif.dk. So great. Well, and, and I hope yeah. more schools take you, take you up on that because you know, as you say, um, there are a lot of people out there doing a lot of things and, and, and you know, um, offering a lot of services and things like that. But there is a there's something to be said for um, authenticity in all things and, and passion. And I think that people that are listening to this will be in no doubt of where your heart is um, and in, in, in why you're doing this. Um, and as you said, and I, I really like what you said about if, if it turned out there was something better you would ditch PBL in a second. And that's the point, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. it's the vision of, of change in whatever way is best for the people that we serve and people in our charge and care, you know? Um, so it is great to hear. I'm always, I always leave these conversations with people like yourself with like so much more energy because um, to know that you're out there, you know, there's people fighting the good fight and there's people, yeah. you know, doing these things and leading with heart and head, um, you know, connected is is very encouraging um which is why and, and i think that's a great great thing that things like your clubhouse sessions exist because you might be a teacher that's in a school where you feel like i did and you were the mm -hmm. the guy that everyone thought was nuts um because you're doing all this crazy stuff you know and you might be that teacher um trying to do these things and so the digital world is there we need to reach out beyond our our culture sometimes and and connect with find our tribe as yeah. sir ken would say right yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Lonnie. Is there yeah, any other um, messages to, to teachers out there? <laughs> oh, <laughs> lots of messages, I think. <laughs> no, I, I just, I think what you said about, you know, kind of finding a tribe and, 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 and also understanding that we're, I think, you know, a very small part of this movement, but everything that we do, all of the small conversations we take with colleagues about what we're doing and, and you know, really thinking critically about how does this make sense to young people? I mean, those, even those smaller conversations move people's heads and their hearts further than the big workshops or kind of the big, you know, modes of thinking. So at the end of the day, I think a lot of it is about relationships and actually, um, you know, just really trying to, uh, yeah, be authentic and, and speak from the heart um, when we're working with people, any person really, but but especially uh, those people that might, might be a little more resistant or not completely onto PBL yet. So yeah, yeah. But as you say, with authenticity and passion as your, your guide, I mean, you'll always find the right way through, you always find the right way yeah. to, to connect with people and, 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 and see the whole person and think about why it is they're feeling that way. I mean, that's a, that's a great way to do it. I really, yeah. I really enjoyed the chat, Lonnie. It was fantastic. Um, and I think that people listening will have as well. Um, and thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Lonnie. Yeah.